Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Wow, a lot of people here. A lot of people in question-asking mode. I will take no questions because I will say nothing difficult. <laughs> All right, we're on one of my favorite topics, love. At least I'm assuming that's <laughs> what it was. It was everywhere in all the lectures. And it's one of my favorite things. One, because it's Hafiz's favorite. And, uh, and two, just experience-wise, I can say it's one of my favorite things about having been alive and having been here. It's the thing that I miss the most when I leave anywhere and the thing I anticipate the most when I go somewhere. It is what we are. It's who we are. I was talking to yet another young person this week in a crisis that I see everywhere. I, there's a lot of people in our community suffering from it, uh, a lot of young people on the net that I read about that are suffering from it, people who have forgotten completely what their nature is and are trying to face this world without knowing that and without knowing where to turn. And the pain that they're in is amazing and intense. They've shut down, they don't find anything worthwhile in pursuing, their ambitions are dying. Because they see the truth of the world, they see that there's no, no enjoyment in wealth or very little, they see that there's no enjoyment in accomplishment or very little. When done as a material thing, as, as a conquest, and at night they're left alone you know, with no one there to understand, no one there to teach them or to show them. And in that world, someone like Hafiz wrote a poem like this. They call you to sing. Stones are longing for what you know. If they had the graceful movement of your feet and your tongue, they would not stop laughing between their ecstatic dance steps and their unbroken praise. Your heart, your heart beats inside a sacred drum. Its skin is tanned and stretched. Our skin is alive and stretched with the wild molecules of his most wondrous existence. Your mind, your eyes are an immense silk cloth upon which all of your thoughts and your movements paint. Your soul once sat on an easel on my knee. For ages I have been sketching you with a myriad of shapes, a myriad of sounds, and a myriad of light. Now awake, my dear pilgrim. Awake with your thousand swaying arms that need to caress the sky. Now awake with your love for the friend and this creation. Help this old tavern sweeper, Hafiz, to celebrate. No more enemies from this golden view. All who have entered this holy mountain cave have dropped their shields and dropped their swords. We all cook together around a fire of our yearning and the music builds. We share our tools and our instruments and our plates. We are companions on this earth. As the sun and planets are in the sky, we are all centuries at our sacred humble posts. The stones and the stars, they envy the movement of your legs and your tongue, and they call you to sing on their behalf. The atoms in your cells and limbs are full of wonderful talents. 
They dance in the hidden choir I conduct. Don't sleep tonight, dear pilgrim. Don't sleep tonight so that I can lead you on my white mare to his summer house. This love you now have for the truth will never forsake you. Your joys and your sufferings on this arduous path are lifting your worn veil like a rising stage curtain and will surely reveal your magnificent self so that you can guide this world like Hafiz in the hidden choir God and his friends will forever conduct. The subject tonight is love. And the subject for tonight, tomorrow night as well, Hafiz says, because there is nothing else worth discussing. In, uh, in, in Christianity, there's a legend of St. John. He was the only one that died a natural death, and he dialed in, died in exa, exa. He dialed? No, he died. He wasn't exiled. He was exiled. He died in exile on an island named Patmos. And in his old age, the church there would, would have someone carry him up to the podium to speak every Sunday. And every Sunday, St. John would say the same thing, barely able to stand. He would stand there and look out of his brothers, and he would just say, my brothers, my sisters, love one another. And then he would sit down. So a disciple of Jesus spent his whole life following and learning, had one plea for us, to love one another. Because that's the only way to move the world. <laughs> it's the only way to move ourselves, is in this love, this love of God, this love of God in each other, this love of God in ideas and in music and in poetry, to celebrate this beautiful opportunity that we have being alive, that we've forgotten, because we haven't imagined when we were a stone, like Hafiz remembered when he was a stone. And now he has arms and legs, and he's celebrating. And he has a voice and a heart, and he's celebrating. We have so many things that are given to us, so many gifts, so many beautiful things. And how often we sit around and complain. What will I do with my life? How can I accomplish anything? I'm so this, I can't do that. I'm terrible at this, I can't achieve that. Always forgetting the time you were a stone when such thoughts would have been ridiculous because you had no potential for them. But now you're partially free. Mother has raised you up and given you a fantastic body, has given you a, an amazing mind, a gift that no one in the world could, could, could duplicate. She's given you the technology of a body that science can still only look at and marvel. And we sit and complain. We sit and wonder about what we haven't achieved or what we can't do or how good we are not or are. But where is the celebration? Where is the remembering of these gifts that you've got? Where is the dancing in your arms and the singing in your voice 
and the happiness that lies in the heart. Where has it gone? Have you forgotten so quickly what it was like to be that stone? You are not a stone, you're a child of love, a child of the divine. I often talk and quote about uh, a wonderful sage, uh, the Peace Pilgrim, and uh, most of the ideas today that I'm going to share come from her again. She says, in order to help usher in the golden age, we must see the good in people. We must know it is there, no matter how deeply it may be buried. Yes, apathy is there. Yes, selfishness is there. But good is there also. It is not through judgment that the good can be reached, but through your love and your faith in each other. It's not through judgment that good can be reached. It's not in noting faults and noting shortcomings that love can be reached. What is this love and how do we reach it? How do we set ourselves even more free from the bonds of, of the rock-like nature that's in us, that's that, that nature of forgetfulness, that nature of, of being stuck and, and sticking in whirlpools <laughs> while this beautiful world dances around us? We're going to look at three different areas today, if I have time, probably even if I don't have time. We're going to look at the preparations of what has to be done, the purifications for getting it done, and the relinquishments that we're going to have to face in finishing it. So I'm going to go to the preparations. Number one, to prepare yourself for not being a rock anymore. Have the right attitude toward this life, according to the Peace Pilgrim. What does that mean? Stop being an escapist and living on the surface. Start asking questions. There's a reason you forgot how blessed you are to have legs. Because you didn't think about it this morning. There's a reason you forgot how much opportunity for love you have. Because you didn't think about it this morning. We're escapists, you see. We feel a little bit of pain or we feel a little bit of a challenge and we just slip somewhere else that's more comfortable. We don't accept the challenge. We don't accept the depth of the situation that we're in, the profundity of it. We pick up very convenient ideas and very convenient conventions to keep our way oiled through the day so that we really don't touch anything new. We don't touch anything too hot or too cold. We keep everything aligned very comfortably. You know, my, my big concern for modern culture is the fact that we live in utterly artificial environments. You know, we live in our suburb with our almost plastic lawn. <laughs> it's amazing to me, you know, I've spent four years in this neighborhood and I've walked this neighborhood every single day. Everything is pristine, beautiful yards, beautiful chairs sitting out and beautiful little fire pits around little rose bushes and, you know, little garden gnomes, and everything is quaffed and beautiful. I have yet to see a single person sitting outside to enjoy it. <laughs> I feel very grand in one sense because they're doing it for me. I get to enjoy it every day on my walks. But I find it so peculiar because the first thing every everybody does when they move into a new house, I've seen five or six people move into their new house in the last couple of years. They put the, the front chaise lounge out there, they put the little table on the front porch, they get it all set up, and they forget they own it <laughs> for the rest of their days. And I wonder, where are these people living life? Where is it happening? 
these artificial environments. They leave that home in the morning, they get into their car. They turn it to the exact temperature they want it. They pick the exact music they want to be playing while they're riding there. Sit that chair in just the right location, turn on the little heater on the side, fix the shoulders, kick back, and hold that steering wheel until you get to your next artificial environment, your office, which is set up with your little plant on the counter there and your computer there and the picture of the three people you love the most in the world. You know, your inbox, your outbox. And you sit there in the wonderfully temperature-controlled room and go on about your life. You finish it at the end of the day. You get back in that car. Everything is just as it's supposed to be. You drive home. Your wife has got your meal ready for you. You turn on the television so that you can find out what the world is really like. <laughs> then you get tired of that and climb into bed only to do it again. And then you wake up the morning after and complain about not being realized. <laughs> Where am I? Where are you in that? Where are you in that? This world has, this, especially this country, this world has counted your steps until you need a Starbucks. You know, they've counted how many steps after that you're going to need a place for a donut or a hamburger. They've measured the number of steps and the days in between the times that you're going to need a grocery store, and they've put one just in the right place, as long as you have a car. All of these things have been fit filled out and figured out for you already. If you're going to live that kind of life, it's already done for you. Good news, you don't have to do anything but get up and put one foot in front of the other. But we're going to raise heart-forlorn children who sit in depression and wonder what life is about because they can recognize that they have been set up for exploitation from the day of their birth until the day of their death. They've understood that all they have to do is go get a job so they can just keep putting money in the people's hands who are making money off of them because they can count the steps too. They can recognize the patterns also. They can see and hear the politics about it. These artificial environments that we've become so comfortable with, we have to break them open and begin asking questions, begin feeling some pain, begin making some investments in our neighbors, finding out who they are, you know, finding out what their needs are. We need to break out of our comfort zone. We need to understand that all of our problems that do come to us, come to us with great tidings of joy, no matter how difficult that news is, because God has trusted you to take that problem and to defeat it, to overcome it, to digest it to make gold out of it. Why? Because he made that your nature. He put that in you, the ability to make gold out of anything he puts in your hands. He made that for you. He put that within you, the ability to grow. That's your nature as intelligence. You're not doomed to do the same stupid things over and over and over again. You can learn from them and transcend and go beyond them. We need to stop accepting the easy life. We need to pick up the covers and look underneath, find that heart of love, find that heart of devotion, find that heart of deep caring and compassion, and dust it off, and go out and walk a different way that they didn't count the steps in, and serve, and to love, and to give. We need to have this right, opportunity, this right attitude toward life. That's our first preparation. All things are working together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul promises you. Accept that. Open up that smile. 
open up that, that, that bottomless pit of joy that's in the heart and begin to rummage through it. Find out what other gifts God has given you since the days you were a stone. Find out what other opportunities, what other abilities you have in there to serve and to care, to dance, to love, to write a poem, to do anything. I heard once from a psychiatrist who told me, he says, the definition that somebody had told him or he had learned or heard, I wish I had a better reference than that. <laughs> he said the, that, that, the, uh, the, uh, that insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over, expecting a different result. You know? By that definition, I have spent so many days of insanity in this life because I wake up every day wondering, why haven't I seen God? And yet I probably won't do one thing different in this day than what I did yesterday in that effort. You know, we've done a lot of talking this weekend, and that's the nature of these get-togethers, and they're important, they're wonderful things, but if you have a bunch of meetings at work and you never walk out with an action list, what good is that meeting? What good is it going to do in your life? Have you put together an action list for yourself yet this weekend? You've heard so many suggestions, so many profound philosophies, so many good ideas, so many inspiring stories of life. Do you have an action list? Have you decided something's going to be different about yourself from this moment forward than it was from this moment back? If not, is it going to be a wonder when you wake up tomorrow and don't know God? Is it going to be a wonder in five years when you wonder, what have I accomplished? What have I done? Why am I still doing my mantra and do, experiencing nothing? You know, if you don't make these changes, if you don't take these philosophies and mint gold with them, you might as well dust the furniture with them. They're not going to do anything for you. They are not the thing itself. They are not what you seek. And they're not going to lay it on the platter for you. You have to engage. Religion's not a television. Spiritual practice is not, is not just listening to a good piece of music. It's being like Takur. It's being like a Jesus from the inside out. Not from the outside in. I'm not saying we need to learn how to mimic these guys and run around mimicking, glad-handing everybody that walks through the door and being instantly cheerful and happy even if we're dying inside. That's not what I'm talking about. We've got to go from the inside out. We've got to pick that carpet up and look under it. We've got to go inside and ask ourselves these questions. We've got to take these challenges. Bring your life into the harmony with the laws that govern this universe. You know, it feels good to do good things. So purposely do good things. We talk about this all the time. We talk about all of this all the time. That's my biggest frustration in my life, I have to tell you. I don't think that there's not a thing I haven't heard in this world. You know, the beautiful spiritual truths that I've been put in touch with in the last 50 years are unbelievable. I can't imagine that there's a secret still hidden from my mind that I haven't heard. But it's not in the mind that I'm going to be free. It's beyond the mind I'm going to be free. So I have to learn. I have to take these things. I have to put them, put them into action to experience the deeper depths. I need to sit there and contemplate them so that they can trickle down into the deeper soil of the heart to get out of the world of ideas, to get out of this surface level of ego 
and to, to spread that root down into the heart where everything grows from. If you can get just even one root of one of your ideas into the heart, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> how mother will play and how mother will dance and how she will clap with joy at one kite breaking free. You know what these laws are, this life or this universe, to bring yourself into harmony with. He says, uh, Peace Pilgrim says, I did not confuse myself by trying to take them on all at once, but rather if I was doing something new that I knew I should not be doing, I stopped doing it. And I always made a quick relinquishment. You see, that is the easy way. And if I was not doing something that I knew I should be doing, I got busy on it immediately. It took the living quite a while to catch up with the believing, but of course it can. And now if I believe something, I live it. Otherwise, it would be perfectly meaningless. As I lived according to the highest light I had, I discovered that the other light was given, and that I opened myself to receiving more light as I lived the light I had. Wouldn't that be a great sentence to be able to write? And what is her secret? Twofold, right? If I'm doing something at the moment that I know I shouldn't be doing, I stopped immediately. I relinquished it quickly. If I realized there was something in this moment that I should be doing that I wasn't doing, I started doing it immediately. Two rules. Just those two rules. And she, called, and she, she, she is bewildered by the amount of light that came into her life from that alone. So take those two, those two notions. If you want to figure out what is the pattern of this life, what is the harmony of this universe, take those two teachings. Start them immediately. Put them into practice. That'll be our first action item. It is true, says the Bhagavatam, that sages who are absorbed in the self are free from all bondage, but they are endowed with spontaneous devotion, motivated by no self-centered desire. Such is the inherent attractiveness of Sri Hari that even contemplatives steeped in Atman consciousness are drawn to him. So when you're free from all these bondages, these things that you don't want to stop doing or the things that you don't want to do, <laughs> when you're reacting immediately and doing the right thing in the moment constant, constantly, your life will become this spontaneous well of joy, the spontaneous well of service, because you will always see opportunities to give. You'll always see opportunities to help. You'll always become aware of how much need and how much hunger and how much hurt is around you everywhere, you know, beyond the fortress of these beautiful yards and, and, and these sculpted gardens and these painted houses and repaired roofs, our lives of people who are very alone and very desperate, who only need somebody to knock on their front door unasked, to say, hey, I live next door to you. <laughs> you know, I heard that, or I can see that your car tire is flat, so I came over to blow it up. I don't know, I'm making that up. But it means to run, to be present, to ask the questions, to live your life, get out of your past of attachments, get out of your future of desires, and live in this present moment and experience the divine, experience God. Find yourself in the pattern of life that's around you. If you do not know where you fit, the Peace Pilgrim says, I suggest that you try seeking it in receptive silence. I used to walk amid the beauties of nature, just receptive and silent, and wonderful insights would come to me. 
That's a great idea. Receptive silence, becoming more and more and more rare these days because we've got our headphones on, you know, listening to this, that, and the other. We've got the TV on in the background. We've got the radio on in the car. You know, I always used to marvel that all the passengers in my car, the first thing they would always want to do is turn on the radio, and it didn't matter what station it was. Just turn on the radio. That's fine. I was used to that too, but if you make yourself accustomed to not having it there, what a profundity it is to sit in silence in your car for an hour and a half, for five hours, to sit there with no one to distract you and pull up an idea, ruminate about it for a moment, think about something Takor did, think about something in your life that's going on, talk to mother, put her in the passenger seat, you know, ask her what she thinks about it, and, and, and sit there and wait for an answer. Simplify your life. Just after I dedicated my life to service, I felt that I could no longer accept more than I needed, while others in the world had less than what they need. This moved me to bring my life down to a need level. I thought it would be difficult. I thought it would entail great hardship, but I was quite wrong. Now that I, only, now that I own only what I wear and what I carry in my pockets, I do not feel deprived of anything. What I want and what I need are now exactly the same, and you could not give me anything that I do not need. Unnecessary possessions are an unnecessary burden. So again, it's that waking up to what you need. Waking up to, to what these things that you bought thinking that they were going to improve your life, and they didn't, but they sit on your shelf for the rest of your days. You know, I'm amazed that even, even, <laughs> even as a monk living in a monastery, without actually going out and buying anything, I am always amazed at how much stuff just accumulates in my room from God knows where. When I moved into my room, there was not a single book in there. I had a floor-to-ceiling shelf, plus two other bookshelves, not a single book in there. I have bought five books in four years, and those bookshelves are full. <laughs> Every one of them, full to the top, you know. You would think there was a limited number of orange shirts in the world. I can tell you there is no limit to the number of orange shirts in the world. I feel like I own half of them. Orange socks, you know. It takes more than a year to work through eight woolen socks of orange. I tell you that so that you don't feel like at Christmas that you need to buy me eight more socks. <laughs> because... I have no less than 30 pairs of socks in my closet, unopened at this point. So bring your life down to a level of need. Match your needs with your desires. Understand that what you have is more than enough. That the majority of the world, you can always say this in a room full of Americans, the majority of the world has lived an entire life owning less than what you have in your garage right now. You know? So stop the idea that you need to buy that next thing that next phone, that next computer, those are things immediately in my mind, you know. Like, oh my gosh, I'm already obsolete. All right, so those are the preparations, a right attitude toward life, attitude of gratitude, remembering. Imagine the day as a rock, <laughs> and then take great joy in not being that. Bring your life into the harmony of the world around it, or the, the world around you. Do what you know you need to do. You see, 
These lectures really aren't necessary. God is in you and within you. He tells you immediately when you're doing the right thing, if you're listening. He'll tell you immediately when you're doing the wrong thing, if you're listening, if you're in conversation. People are always amazed. You know, we talk about habit talking to mother, praying to God, and we always feel like it's a one-sided conversation. Why is that? It's because when you're praying, how many times do you stop to listen? You know, you sit there and you list off all the things you need and all the things you want and how you're feeling about this, that, and the other. And then the prayer is over and you get up and you go on your way. You should spend at least that much time sitting there and listening. Mother talks. Mother speaks. She gives guidance. She answers questions. She gives you ideas. She gives marvelous insights. She will show you things on a walk that you never, that you just, you would literally will stop walking and be like, oh my God, how did I never see that? How did I never understand that? But you have to listen. You have to build that time in to converse with mother. If you find yourself doing the wrong thing, do the right thing. If you find yourself not doing the right thing, do the right thing. Those two rules, bring yourself into harmony with the world and simplify your life. Bring your needs down to your wants. All right. Purifications. These are the fun ones. First of the body, second of thought, third of desire, and fourth of motive. Purifications of the body. Eat sensibly. <laughs> Eat to live. Food is not entertainment. <laughs> Food shouldn't be entertainment. You know? Get yourself some sleeping, sensible sleeping habits. Sleep because you need to sleep. Don't give yourself more than what you dictated the day before. The alarm goes off, get up. You know, the snooze button, I'll just say it. Snooze, you lose. <laughs> the snooze button's for, for people who, who have not figured it out yet. You know, have the discipline inside to follow the rules and follow the things that you've set for yourself. Fresh air, sunshine, and contact with nature. Get out of your artificial environment. Oof. Go shopping in a store that's not a mall. You'll have to drive a long ways around here. That <laughs> was one of my saddest things when I moved here, was seeing nothing but strip malls. The idea of going to a restaurant in a strip mall was the most odious idea to a San Franciscan you can imagine. <laughs> you know, Break the norms. Break out of this program that you've been established of. You know, show them that they're wrong. You didn't need a Starbucks after 28 steps. You didn't need a CVS after three blocks. You didn't need a, a, a McDonald's after five miles. Break the rules. You know, live a fresh and free existence, full of creativity, full of a response to having legs, having arms, having amazing minds, having eyes and ears, and walking with the beloved. Walking with the beloved. Try these new things. So eat sensibly, sleep sensibly, and get outside of your artificial environment to some fresh air, sunshine, and nature. Purify your thought. Realize the power of your thinking. Gosh, it's an amazing thing. Your life is determined by your thinking. Your day is determined by your thinking. 
It was a very spooky realization of mine a while back that I could choose to be happy. Because we don't want happiness to be a choice. We want it to be a result of some arduous task. We want it to have a value that's measured by the effort I had to accomplish to have it. That's karma. That's bondage. That's being stuck. You don't have to. Happiness is a decision. It's a perspective. It's an adopted way of looking at the world. To believe that all things work together for good. To believe that you are, in fact, composed of love and of intelligence and have the opportunity to experience it in your presence, in your being, in your existence. So realize the power of your thinking. Know that troubles don't lie outside the mind. You know, that that's the only difference. That's the primary difference between you and me is the mind, my mind and your mind. If I was to take me and put me in your mind, suddenly I would have the same problems you had. But I would no longer have the problems I have. It's just mind. It's just mind. Let all of these things be just mind. You be the free lover who's behind it. And you're in charge of it. You don't have to subject yourself to it. What do they say? Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. You know, look at Takor. He could have complained so bitterly in his last days. You know, his throat literally dissolving out of his body in pain. You know, and what does he do? Even the doctors are telling him, you got to stop talking. I, how can I stop talking about God? How can I stop singing about God? How can I just lay here and do nothing in this world of light, this mansion of mirth? He had that conversation with M, you know, very early on. M was complaining about this world. Oh, there's so much suffering in this world, you know, which there is. <laughs> sure, it's everywhere. If that's what you want to see, you know, if that's what you want to see, that's what you will see. But Tucker, Tucker was looking at him with a smile and sort of confused. And after M said, this world is so much suffering, Tucker says, why do you say that? <laughs> this world's a mansion of mirth. This world is a great home of joy. It's a frame of mind. It's an understanding. You, the immortal. You, the infinite. You, love itself. You, intelligence. You, the magic reflection of the divine. Stand in that place. Allow yourself to enjoy that place for just a moment in the morning before you step out into the planned day ahead. See how different it looks when you know that you're never going to die. Believe it for a moment. Think about how it can be true and come to realize that there's a stillness in you looking out through your eyes that has been there unchanged for your entire life. It has been trying to get your attention without moving, without dancing, without screaming, just by being perfectly tranquil. And it's been looking through your eyes for your whole life unchanged. And it's going to be there and watch the body drop off when the body drops off. And you're going to be so surprised, <laughs> so excited, because you've been here and you've heard lectures and discussions about how you're not that. And you may believe it now utterly that you are a body and a mind and you may feel yourself growing old and you may feel the pains of the body and you may start watching your friends die. You may start watching your children die. You may start watching your, your parents die. And all of this looks like a tragedy that can't be overcome. But in the middle of it, remember, you are never going to die. And these people have never died and they have never left you. 
and that the mind that carried them in the love that it carried them through their life with you still remains with you when their body is gone. So their memory should not be a memory of pain. It shouldn't, it shouldn't highlight the attachment that you have for more. It should be a celebration in letting enough be enough. 30 years with that person was enough. It was beautiful. It was full. It was lovely. They were lovely. It was enough. I don't need another moment of it. I will not weep for one. To live that kind of freedom, to live with that kind of understanding, those are the action items that we're laying out in these great truths, these great possibilities for being free, for being revolutionaries and radicals in our time. If you are harboring the slightest bitterness toward anyone, or any unkind thought of any kind whatsoever, Peace Pilgrim says, you must get rid of it quickly and immediately. Jesus says the same thing. Jesus says if you're going into the shrine to do your prayers or to do your meditations, and you remember that your brother has been offended by you or that somebody has something against you, he says sit your offering down right where you are, go and fix the problem with your brother, then come and make your offering. That's how important it is to God that you live correctly. That you do what's right in the moment and you stop doing what's wrong in the moment. That's how important. He wants you to get that going before he even wants you to come into the shrine to make an offering to him. He's like, you've got another offering to make. Go make it. And then come. And we'll have a cup of tea and have a great time together. So if there's anyone, think in your life right now, is there anyone, anywhere, that has the slightest anything against you for any time, take care of it today. Call them up immediately after you leave here. I'm so sorry that I threw that lettuce at you. <laughs> I'm so sorry I said your brand new baby was ugly. <laughs> Whatever horrible thing you've done, Know that you're sorry because it didn't feel good for you at the time. It's not feeling good for you to harbor it and carry it now. Fix it. Be free. Be free. <clears throat> Purifications of desire. So we've got body, thought, now desire. As you know and do your part in the life pattern, your desires will properly unify. The Bhagavad says, never can desire be quenched by repeated enjoyment of desire. So few words, but we're still working on that one. How many of us have a favorite restaurant? You know, our favorite TV show. Never... It's a good word. Never, if you don't know what it means, it's a good one to look up. Never can desire be quenched by repeated enjoyment of desires. Never. <laughs> it's not going to work. You know, if you didn't fully enjoy that piece of chicken last night, it's not because you need to go find another chicken with different legs. <laughs> it's because chicken will not fulfill you in your life. If you've had a tablespoon of beach sand and you didn't like it, it doesn't mean that you need to cook it differently. You need to understand that you're a soul, a spirit. There are three things that can feed you. Satchitananda, in any of its forms, will feed you. Love, intelligence, existence. Those are the only things that are nourishing. 
and acting on those things are the only things that will make your life fulfilling. If you're not doing the things in your life for love, if you're not doing them from a base of intelligence, and you're not present while you're doing them, you will end up in depression. You will end up in helplessness, despondency, inertia, tamas. Or you'll get utterly lost in rajas so that you don't have to think about it for a moment. You don't have to be reminded of your pain. You don't have to be alone in your sorrow. You know? Never can desire be quenched by repeated enjoyment of desires. Like butter poured on fire with a view to quenching it, desire only gets inflamed thereby. You know, it, only gets, it only gets reinforced. I have, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take us to pizza. That And that same old story that we always talk about, you know, the young monk walking along, being happy, a beautiful day, the sun is shining, he smells pizza. It could He could just keep walking and say, wow, a perfect smell of pizza on a perfect day, how grand life is. But he's attached to pizza. He's had it before. So the smell of pizza won't let the day remain perfect. He has to project the lack of pizza on the moment and he can't see God anymore. He's no longer content and happy. So now he has to come up with a plan. He has to go buy that pizza, go find that money to buy that piece of pizza. And he goes and he buys that piece of pizza and he eats it and he enjoys the pizza. It seems harmless, except that he's done one very damaging thing. After that experience is over, he will believe that pizza made his day perfect. Forgetting that he was already having a perfect day before he smelled it. And once you believe that it's the things that you're desiring and the things that you have and the things that you want that are going to make you content, you have forgotten one very important thing. You were content before you had it. Before you were thrown off of your balance somehow into thinking that you needed it. Stop it. That's how you purify your desire. The master says, why shouldn't man be able to realize God in the world? But he must have discrimination and dispassion. See, those are the two elements of what those, the peace pilgrim is talking about when she says, dig deeper into your life. Get, get out of the mundane. Stunt, you know, break, the, break the artificial environment you've created for yourself. Start discriminating. Start wondering. Start tearing apart the things you've accepted as true. Even the most fundamental things that you think are true. Poke at them. Find out about the implications of them. Watch closely the fruit of what you're doing. If you wake up at 50 years old one day and you're a cubicle rat and it's not what you wanted and you never wanted it in your life and here you are and you're completely stuck, don't be stuck. You've got arms and legs. They can go anywhere you want them to take you. Use them to change your life. If you're not content with what you have, sit down and poke around and find out exactly why. What is it that you're hungering for? If you think it's a new television, sit a little longer. If you think it's a bigger house, sit a lot longer. <laughs> think about it. Because God has done a very wonderful thing in this world. He has tucked his name behind every desire that you have in hopes that you will find that and recognize him. And know that in that TV, somewhere pasted on the back side of it for you to find without having to buy the television is the name of God. Something about that TV is telling you something about God and you're seeing it. That's why you want it. Every desire in this world is because of that. 
Those things that you are desiring have the name of God tucked in them somewhere. Don't be fooled by the object. Open the gift. Find the name of God in it. You know, The satisfaction that you were looking for in a television has a name that's bigger than television. What is it? Is it security? You know, is it comfort? Is it love? Is it peace of mind? What is it? So Takor says to you, a householder, why shouldn't you be able to realize God in the world? But you've got to have discrimination and dispassion. He must have the unshakable awareness that God alone is real. What does that mean? That God alone is real. Well, what does that mean? He's all you want. He's all you need. He's all that's required. He is the means for fulfilling life. He is a means for a fulfilling relationship. He is the means for a fulfilling friendship. He's the means of everything that you've ever desired. He alone is real. The rest of this is not real. How do you know? Come back in a hundred years. See what's here. You know? I like to think, you know, if we take this just back 20 years, you and I are standing in the woods right now. See how the world changes, passes on around us. Purity of motive. What is our motive in everything that we do? It has to be service. It has to be giving. It has to be giving and not getting, and we've talked about that many times. I keep repeating these seals because I'm hoping that by repetition one day I'll do one of them. We have to understand that our time on this earth is not about getting. If it was, we could take it with us. You know, coffins would come in double-wide sizes, you know, so that you could put all your stuff in there. They don't, you know. You can't take it. That's the first clue that you didn't come here to, to get something, you know. Not only that, you have to leave everything else behind. That's your second clue. You came here to give, not to get. So set about your life that way. Stop using your days to get things. Stop using your days to, to do what you need to do. Start using your days to serve. Start using your days to reach out and encourage and to love and to build something beautiful with what God has given you, some arms and legs and a great mind, health, Wealth, time. The Bhagavatam says, when the obstructing evil tendencies are mitigated through constant application to the service of holy men and the study of holy scriptures, one develops a steady and unshakable love for the Lord of abounding glory and grace. With the growth of devotion, the mind is freed from the agitations of instinctive passions like greed and sexuality, the, the products of rajas and tamas, and gets established in the peace and poise of sattva. All right. So what are the things he tells you to do there? Service of holy men? I, I support that fully. <laughs> of course, the only thing holy is the color here, I'm afraid. But, uh, you know, it's a good, good place to start. The holy study of the scriptures. You know, fill yourself with these beautiful ideas. That's why you're doing it. There's only one tool of the enemy if there's an enemy in this world, and that's forgetfulness. So you spend your time around holy people so that you don't forget. They're also a lot more appreciative when you serve them, you know. Less likely to take you incorrectly at your intentions. So serve each other. Love each other. Serve this place. This place is becoming a beautiful place. You know, I've been here for four years. 
many of you don't think that you've grown and many of you don't think that you've changed. I can tell you that you have. This place is becoming beautiful. The amount of attention that I see people giving to this place has increased a great deal in the last four years. There's a great deal of love here. It's a wonderful place to start. You have found a brilliant place to realize God. And I urge you utterly to do that. I've met a few people who had to change their jobs in order to change their lives, but I've met many more people who merely had to change their motive to service in order to change their lives. It's not what you do that's important. What you do is not going to make your life meaningful. It's how you do what you do. You know, I met a, I had the opportunity, it took me 30 years to realize it was a privilege. I had a friend who I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I actually, the friendship actually stopped because he was, <laughs> that's so embarrassing to say, he was an airline attendant and he loved it. He didn't want to do anything else. And we were friends and that used to dis me so much. I was like, what have you accomplished in your life? What kind of self-development is an airline steward? Like, you know, he, he didn't want, he, he had already turned down two promotions while I was there and then one opportunity for a management job at the counter at the airport. And I'm like, well, you're just going to be a steward your whole life. And he was like, yeah, I like it. I like it. It took me 30 years to realize how beautiful that was. At the time, I thought, God, this guy has no ambition. He's got no there's no there there. He's so vapid. He's so empty. So not realizing that to be content in what you do is one of the highest ideals in life. What an amazing feature that is. What an amazing thing. And how do you do that? Make your life about what you are. What are you? Do we say it again? Satchitananda. You go to work to love. Not to build rockets. Not to solve problems. Not to design trash cans. Not to empty trash cans, I don't know, whatever you think you're doing at work is not why you're there. You're there to love. If you're a teacher, it's not there to teach the kids. It's to love the kids because then everything you are will be taught to them. They'll see that immediately. If you go to, if you're going to, to you know, the, the videos on YouTube will always open this up. This little girl used to get up and, and uh, watch the garbage men come. <laughs> She was thrilled by it. And the video every day, she'd jump up and down on the back of the couch while she's looking out the window. And one day, the garbage man brought her a, a toy garbage truck and brought it up to the front door. And when they handed that little truck to her, it's all on video. It's all on YouTube. I'm not making this up. The joy on her face, the excitement on her face, the love on her face, and the relationship that was born then between that family and the garbage man. What a, what a wonderful thing, what a silly thing, what a mundane thing, what an everyday thing, what a beautiful thing. That a garbage man realized he wasn't going to work that morning just to empty garbage. That he realized he was a man of love and that there was this young girl who jumped up and down every time they emptied her trash can. He brought her a toy truck. He thought about her, considered her, loved her. And her life is different my life is different because of it, because I got to watch it on YouTube, you know? That is the challenge of learning to live according to your nature, according to what you are, to purify your motive. And now to our relinquishments, the things we have to leave behind, our self-will. 
our self-will. Refrain from doing any not good thing that you are motivated toward and not suppressing but redirecting. Not suppressing but redirecting. This is from the Peace Pilgrim. Refrain from doing the things that aren't good. In the, in the words of Brother Lawrence, he only considered what he thought God wanted in the moment, whatever it was, and he did it immediately. Don't, don't put things off. Don't, don't ask yourself in the morning, what do I want to do today? Ask yourself in the morning, who can I live for today? Who can I serve today? Who can I care about today? Don't make the first thing you think about in the morning your list of things that you've got to collect before you go back to bed that night. Make it a list of people who need you. Make it a list of people you've heard that were sick or whose kids were sick or whose brothers were sick or who needed their lawn mowed or who weren't, whatever. And if you can't think of anyone, then make it up. Write a card for somebody at work. Tell them how much you appreciated that extra donut they left for you in the break room. You know, Reach out to somebody. Make it, your, make it your goal to say five nice things between the front door and your desk at work. You know, learn to live for love. Give up your self-will and thinking about what you want to do. Do not query yourself for what you want. If you're ever given the opportunity to choose something, think of someone else and do what they would want. What a great opportunity. Get rid of this self-will. Second is to get rid of this feeling of separateness. We only judge the world based on those things we see in ourselves, you know. Learn to see yourself in all things. Practice it. You know, when you're standing there in the grocery line, you've got a few minutes to think while you're standing there. Now, you could sit there and read the front pages of all of the great news rags, find out what Cher is up to, you know, how much more money Bet has spent on her face. I don't know. Whatever. You could spend it that way. Most of us do. Or you could sit there getting ready to see God in the eyes of your cashier, contemplating that and talking to them ahead of time. Okay, Takor, I'm going to, I see you at the cashier. I'm going to talk to you and I see you at the cashier. <laughs> and then you get to the cashier and you look at the person's eyes and you smile like you would smile at Takor. And that smile is going to warm a heart. Say hello like you would say hello to Takor. You've had a few minutes to get yourself ready, you know, get yourself cleaned up and straightened up. Deliver it. Deliver your hello to Takor at the register. And the Takor that is at the register will wake up and will talk back to you. And you'll recognize him, even though he may have done it a dozen times already. He'll recognize you and you'll see him. That's how you fill your life with God. That's how Takor was able to say, I haven't seen anything but God. What do you mean, show you God? What else have you seen? That's how we see it. You want more God in your life? Generate more love. You want to see more God in your life? Be kinder. Look for ways to give. And love will fill your life. And you'll be amazed and wonder, how did I never see God before? Oh, that's what the scripture means when they say God is love. The Bhagavatam says, I am always present in all beings as their very self. 
That means it's not a big stretch to say he's in the guy at the cashier. It's not a big stretch to say that he's in the flowers that you're taking care of out front of your porch. You know, and once again, I get the opportunity to talk about Hafiz's dog. <laughs> you know, that mangy street dog that comes running up to him, wagging his tail, and Hafiz bends down and scratches him under the chin and says, My beloved, I'm so glad you've come to visit me today. That could be your life. That's what you were meant to be. That's the experience that has been laid out for you. If you can drop this idea of self-will and being separate from the world around you. I am not pleased, O sinless one, by being worshipped in an image accompanied by various and high terms of ritual worship, by those who insult me in the various living beings. Okay, so your worship with Thakur Vivekananda says it very frankly, the highest form of worship is the service of any living being. That's the highest form of worship. If you're not a nice person, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you're doing in here. You know, not that it's a loss. Eventually, God will kick you enough that you'll figure it out at some point. Therefore, worship me in all beings. All right, there's an instruction. That's a commandment. Worship me in all beings. Get to it. Get to it. That's our commandment. Worship God in all beings. For I am the one self in all and have already made a temple for me in them. We like to build temples. We like to build temples. But he says that he has already created them, thousands of them, millions of them, billions of them, and he lives in every one of them. Don't go to the ones made of rocks to worship. Go to the ones made of flesh, made of life, and worship. All attachments and negative feelings should be given up. Worry is a useless mulling over things we cannot change. It is not a concern that motivates you to whatever necessary in the situation. You know, don't be a worrier. Leave things at God's hands. Go forward. Be present now. Be present in the moment and take what's given to you here and now and let it be enough. And then you go about the task of making it beautiful. Take, take this moment, lay all of its components on the table in front of you, and get busy on your task of minting gold from it. That's your only task. That's all you need to do. So in that moment when you're feeling depressed, you're feeling down, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling betrayed, you're feeling angry, you're feeling jealous, lay it all on the table and get about the business of minting love. Figure out how to use this situation to build love. Worship me in all, building, in all beings. Return to the present. You have complete control over whether or not you will be hurt psychologically. And any time you want to, you can stop hurting yourself. You know, in, in, the depressing, in the depression that I went through, and sometimes still go through, it was a very important lesson to me from a psychiatrist. He says, how is your depression serving you? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> He says, well, we only engage in things that serve us, that we like somehow. How, how do you think that your depression is serving you? What's your reason for it? 
And I began to understand that my depression, my melancholy, sort of gave a weight to life. It sort of made me feel somehow engaged or made me somehow feel like I was unique because I could see things differently than everybody else or I, I could feel things more deeply than everybody else, you know. It was an ego thing, hard to understand, but I was hurting myself. Think about our habits in our life that, that cause us so much pain. The things that we keep doing over and over and over and over and over again. You'll only stop doing them when you stop believing that they serve you somehow. So you've got to get back to that discrimination and that, that, that dispassion. Pick them up and look at them again. Look closer. Even in them there's a name of God that's attracting you. Take the name and forget the habit. Take the name and forget the object. Take the name and forget the thought. Run with God. He's the only thing that's real. The only thing that can bring you home and make your life fulfilling. So the subject tonight is indeed love. And every night. And everything we've ever discussed is a form of that. We are the guardians of his beauty. The protectors of the sun. There is only one reason we have followed God into this world, to defend laughter, to defend freedom, to defend dance and love. Let a noble cry inside of you speak to me, saying, Hafiz, don't just sit there on the moon tonight doing nothing. Help place my heart into the friend's mind. Help, old man, to heal my crippled wings. We are the companions of his beauty. We are the guardians of his truth. Every man, every plant, every creature in existence, every woman, child, vein, and note is a servant of our beloved, a harbinger of joy, a harbinger of light. So with those words, let's just have a few moments. Probably less than one. Good. So what's next on our schedule here? Lunch. 20, min 20 minutes ago. All right. So lunch is from 1230 to 130. What's the new time from now until it's finished? All right. So we'll go downstairs and then Swami Atmagyananda is going to speak on Sri Ramakrishna avatar or ideal. Uh,